Blog Talk Radio. Nalindilele pakumfwa kamangu kababemba kalila. Through this song, I remember and celebrate the life of Zambia's unsung heroes. I remember Robinson Puta, Titus Mukupo, Lawrence Katilongu, Michael Chileshe, Patu Simoko, Timimvula, Teddy Chilambe, Spokes Chola, Brian Chwangu, Godfrey Chitalo, Alex Chola, and the unnamed mothers, daughters, and sisters that have inspired us all for the greater good of this country. So hear me out.
Okay, Nathan, uh, if you are talking, we can't hear you. Oh, so, my goodness, I was talking to myself. <laughs> that's correct. All right, that's correct. all right, everybody. Yes, yes. Thank you, my friend. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Zander Block Talk Radio. It is August 22nd, uh, 2020, and it's 9.04 Central Time in uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, 10.03 on the East Coast, I believe it's 304 in uh, our friends in Europe, especially in England, and it's 1604 uh, in Zambia and Central Africa and those parts of the world. And 10 p.m. in the Western Pacific, Australia, we do thank you for joining us. We are the great show for you today and the great guest. We are just waiting for him to call in. We are set and uh, ready and uh, ready to go. Good morning, my friend up there in the north in Canada. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning. Yeah, we are anticipating a great show uh, with mm. uh, a great uh, son of Africa. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This uh, discussion has been long overdue. We were supposed to talk to Dr. Member Sam, I believe it's a year or two years ago, but uh, uh, things uh, didn't work out. Uh, but today mm-hmm. is the day, and we are going to listen to uh, a great man, a son of Africa, like you say, who has uh, made his contribution uh, to uh, the political landscape and process in, in Zambia. And uh, we trust that, uh, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people are listening from different parts of the world, and it's, uh, it, 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 this is going to be a, a discussion of, of a lifetime, so to speak. And um, so everybody listening in, uh, if you have any questions, as we shall be talking to Dr. Membe, we shall take questions from our social media, uh, our social media listeners, listening audience, and uh, go to our Facebook page, Zambia Block Talk Radio, or you can go to the Socialist Party Facebook page or Dr. Membe himself, and we shall read your questions to him. And uh, that is uh, okay. As we get ready here, Dr. Kasonso, good morning. Uh, good morning, Reverend. How are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. And uh, um, uh, your your anticipations for uh, our discussion with Dr. Membe? Yeah, I, I would like to just hear the inside of story, the inside story of the. The amazing post newspapers, it changed our country and changed our people. And for the longest time, it was the voice of the people. So I would like to get some, some, uh, some inside uh, uh, spices of you know, what uh, made that publication, what it became. Yes, I'm there. Excellent. Our guest is here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, 
in 2001, the International Institute named Dr. Mwembe as one of its uh, World Press Freedom heroes. And as we know, any Zambian, when you mention Post newspaper, you're talking about Dr. Membe. He founded the Post newspaper in 1991, and he's a renowned journalist. He is the president of the Socialist Party, a political party whose formation was primarily mandated to promote and entrench socialist values in the Zambian society. We are greatly honored to, do, to have Dr. Fred Membe join us today. Uh, Dr. Membe, welcome to Zander Block Talk Radio. Thank you very much for hosting me. Excellent. It's, it's been long coming. It's been long coming, and we've been waiting for this. Uh, uh, you and I, as we interacted, I mentioned to you and everybody out there listening, we cannot discuss anything concerning your, your life career without talking about the Post newspaper. So let's begin from there. Uh, the PF government gave us the impression or gave the impression to the nation that uh, the Post newspaper owed millions in back taxes. Was that the accurate picture of the circumstances? It wasn't. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, please explain to us what, what were the issues going on behind the scene that led to the persecution and eventual shutdown of one of uh, Africa's private newspapers. The post was a going concern at the time it was closed yes. by the Zambia Revenue Authority. And like every going concern company, there are liabilities all the time, tax liabilities. These are monthly tax liabilities that arise, and others that arise from the day-to-day -day transactions. Yes. Um, you pay these every month. You pay some of them periodically. You pay some of them as you transact. Mm. The bill that was brought, or the tax bill that was brought by the Zambia Revenue Authority to the post was excessively beyond what the post actually owned or owned mm. the Zambian uh, Revenue Authority. And the post brought that to the attention of the Zambian Revenue Authority that their bill was wrong. And the post engaged its auditors. Yes. And other accounting firms. In fact, there were two accounting firms to look at mm. what the Zambia Revenue Authority was claiming. And they agreed with the post accountant that the figure that the Zambia Revenue Authority was demanding was totally wrong. This was brought to the attention of the Zambia Revenue Authority and the reconciliation processes started not directly with the post audit accountants, but with the auditors, an yeah. independent international firm that I don't want to mention here. Okay. And while they were engaging with them, we hear instructions came to stop that and just put a demand. So that reconciliation with the auditors of the post or the accountants of the post was stopped. And eventually the newspaper was closed. When it was closed, then the post went to the Zambia, to, to, the, to the Revenue Appeals Tribunal and launched a complaint. The matter was heard 
and the tax tribunal, appeals tribunal ordered that there be a reconciliation between okay. the accountants and the auditors of the post and the Zambia Revenue Authority, and the company be opened. The government refused to, or to, 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 to abide by that order. We went with our lawyers trying to get out, to gain access to the company. I was arrested and detained for simply trying to effect the order of the revenue tribunal, uh, the appeals tribunal. And this is an organ that was created by the government itself. They were appointing people to that tribunal. It was their own tribunal. And the people who were appointed to that tribunal were people who were, were lawyers who were qualified to be high court judges. Yes. So that's how the post was closed. To this very day, that figure of the tax liability of the post has not been ascertained, has not been agreed. You can't, I can't owe you money, or I, you can't owe me money, and, ju and I just come and say, you owe me these millions, pay me. Yeah. Then you say, look, I don't owe you that type of money. Can we sit down and reconcile the figures? Yes, I owe you something, but I don't owe you what you are demanding. And the next thing, bailiffs are new, and you are closed. Is that the way business is conducted in a civilized society? In a society governed by laws? Where there's a rule of law? Is that not arbitrariness? Is that not abuse of power? Mm. Mm. Dr. Membe, what was that one article story that triggered the outrage from the PF or this subsequent story? It was not one article. It was the editorial line of the post that they didn't like. The post from its very beginning was a newspaper that held the powerful accountable. The powerful in government, the powerful in business and in other walks of life were held accountable by the post. And they didn't like that. Being held accountable means they cannot do what they want to do. If exactly. it's wrong, they can do. They cannot do as they please. And because they were, from the very beginning, their intention was to do wrong things. They didn't want anybody to hold them accountable. And they have demonstrated that even after the close, the close of the post, they have gone on to close other media news media outlets that tried to hold them accountable, that tried to question them. That gave a platform to other people, to other citizens, to question them, to try and hold them accountable. The exercise of power must be a constant practice of self-limitation and modest. That's what they do not want. That's what they do not understand. That's not what they want to abide by. They want to do as they please. A society is not governed like that. A society is not ruled like that. Not even your personal home, which you share with other people, with your wife and children, can be run that way. 
you have to listen to other people. Indeed. You have Indeed. to exercise some limitation on yourself. You have to be modest. You have to bend backwards. You have to mull over and listen to the feelings of other people. They didn't want that. And they have demonstrated that they do not want that to this very day. Mm. Interesting. Uh, one more question, Dr. Membe, on the post before we move forward to talk about the Socialist Party. Uh, for some of us, when a company is shut down, we are not just talking about the political aspect or the persecution and things like that. A company entails employees and people, real human beings, working at that institution. Did the government, after they shut down the post, work out compensation packages for the employees of the post? The post was not a, li- a small company, was not a little contender, as we say. It was a big oh, company employing many people, mm. employing thousands of people. There were wow. many people who earned a living from the post, some directly, some indirectly. They were suppliers of all sorts of services and goods to the post. There were other people who provided certain services, certain skills to the post, even though they were not on the payroll of the post directly or they had no employment contract. So when the post closed, all those lost. Some small suppliers who might have been owed money by the post have not been paid. The employees of the post who dedicated all their lives working there, they have not been paid to to date. The post was not a creation of money or a lot of money. It was a creation of the intellect and labor of ordinary people, humble young people who worked there every day to create the post. The post started with very little. The assets of the post that they have vandalized, that they have shared, that they have stolen, were a creation over 26 years of hard labor, hard work by many people. They have not paid them. They don't care. They have sold assets. Nobody knows where the money has gone. We hear. Even the DRA has not been paid its dues. So who has benefited from these assets? Where has the money gone? Probably it's themselves paying themselves. But they will have to account at some point. They yes. have a duty to account. They will not run away from accounting. Yes, nobody can hold them to account today because they are a law unto themselves. They control all the institutions of the state. They control even the court. They control everything. But one day, things will change. Impunity has a limit. This government will not last forever. This president will not be president forever. One day, things will change. And they will be held accountable. But it's greedy of the highest order. It's selfishness of the highest order. We have lost so many people who work for the post. 
They have died out of depression. We have lost so many of our friends. They can't stay them even a little. If a little is all they have collected. Sad indeed. And uh, thank you for that response, Dr. Membe. It, it's a sad story. It's a sad story when people can just, uh, with impunity, try to persecute at the expense of people's lives. Let me quote something from uh, the Socialist Party website, and uh, it says, Fred Membe has been a socialist from his teens to death. He is blood and soul a socialist, end of court. Uh, mo- mo- most people, Dr. Membe, have a huge conflict with this statement, considering that your business practices have been clearly uh, capitalistic, so to say. Uh, what's your response when people say they, they, can't, they can't reconcile you being a, a, saying you're a socialist and looking at your business practices? What have been in my business practices? Maybe enlighten me a little bit. Uh, this, uh, what are those business practices that they can't reconcile? The, 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 the most obvious one is the post newspaper was a private enterprise. And uh, in most socialist mm-hmm. countries, uh, press freedom is a no-no. It doesn't probably even exist. So they are very, the, the reconciliation that people are looking for is, will the, I don't want to bring in other issues here. To, let, okay, let's proceed. The, the reconciliation people are looking for is that should the Socialist Party form government, is press freedom going to be a key component of your governance? Let's, let's get back to the first question that you raised. Yes, sir. Uh, how does one run a newspaper in Zambia? What form, what structure do you take? There are about four ways you can run a business in Zambia today. One is as a sole trader. Mm -hmm. Two is as a partnership. Three is as a limited liability company. Four is as a public limited company. Five is as a cooperative. It was not possible for us to run a newspaper as a sole trader. I was not the only one. As, a, as an individual, I would have not been able to mobilize the little capital that was required to start the course. Uh-huh. I needed other people to come in. So, so being a sole trader was out. Yes. Two, we could not be a public limited company because we were a startup company. Uh-huh. We were new. We had no track record to list on the stock exchange and the attract capital from the public at large. So that one was out. Three, we could not go as a partnership. A partnership is much closer to sole trader. Mm-hmm. And how many partners could you have? So we couldn't go the partnership way. Four, we could not go as a cooperative. Because the subscribers of the capital, yes, the contributors of the capital wanted to find an easy mechanism to get their capital out, to get the investment out, to realize the investment as and when they deemed fit. 
So they couldn't go through the cooperative route. We actually tried it. Mm -hmm. The cooperative route, we tried it. We couldn't succeed. So we were left with only one option, to go the limited liability company. Okay. To mobilize the capital that was required. But when you look at the way the post operated, it was not your everyday limited liability company. It had tendencies or practices of a cooperative. It has also practices of a non-government organization, a progressive non-government organization. Oh. Apart from having the shareholders and the board of directors, we also had what we called the staff meeting. The staff meeting was a monthly meeting of all the employees of the post who could make it to that meeting. That staff meeting had committees looking at various issues. Even the accounts of the company were tabled at the staff meeting every month, the management account. Mm. The staff knew what came in and what went out and what it was spent on. They knew. The board of directors subordinated itself to the staff meeting decision. Although there was no legal obligation to do so under the company's act. The, the board of directors respected all the decisions of the staff meeting. For instance, I can give you one example or two examples. The staff meeting decided that there shall be a staff canteen okay. where staff members eat for free, two meals a day. And that was done. Even if some of the board, the, the, the board members did not agree with it. The staff meeting also decided that we should put up a kindergarten for the mothers who had children so that they, when they are not being distracted yes. at the office. That was approved by the board as well. But we had problems of space. We had a choice. The space that was there is either we put a staff canteen there or we put a kindergarten there. So the staff were told to choose. While we are looking for space to put the kindergarten, they chose to have a staff canteen. Yes. Three, it was decided that the company pays for the education of its members who still wanted to go to school. We had the people who came in as security guards, as drivers. They didn't have all the all levels required. They had never finished the high, secondary school. Yes. We had the teachers who were working, former teachers who were working for the post. They volunteered their time to teach those who wanted to do all levels. Some of those people finished their all levels and went to the University of Zambia and other universities and completed degrees. As I'm talking to you, there are people who came in as drivers at the post and left the post with degrees. Degrees from the University of Zambia, not from some of the poor universities of Zambia. <laughs> there are some who came with certificates, they left with diplomas. There are some who came with diplomas, they left with degrees. There are some who came with first degrees, they left with master's degrees. All paid for by the post. Mm. All taught by the post. There are many things that I can give you that differentiated the post from other limited liability companies. So what capitalist practices, what business practices are irreconcilable with socialism, with the socialist character of me? And also it was not just me. I was just mm. one element there. 
I was simply a worker there, although I was a shareholder as a founder. I was simply a worker there. I had a contract of employment at the post. I earned a salary. Mm. I earned a salary at the post. The post never paid a single dividend in its all 26 years of existence, despite making a profit every year. There was no year that the post made a loss. All the years from the first period of existence, the post made a profit to its closure. Not a single year did it make a loss. But not a single year did the post ever pay a dividend. Was there even a suggestion to declare a dividend and pay it? Never did we do that. So what is questionable about my business practices or capitalist business practices at the post? If they are questionable, that's why I asked which are those yeah. practices because I do not know them. It, it I do not know them. Yeah. It, it is important. Uh, my, I, I, I want my colleague here uh, from Canada to chime in here. Roger, it's important that this is made clear because, you see, uh, Dr. Membe's adversaries, Roger, have tried to paint a picture that these things were like in his pocket. I know, Dr. Mende, you follow American politics. The Democratic uh, Convention just ended here in the United States, and they tried to put a human face to this presidential candidate. I wanted us to clarify these issues to do with the post, because I know that your adversaries have tried to, let me use the word, demonize you in a very loose way. Roger, did we even know the things he's explaining were going on at the Post newspaper? Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, it was a, a one-sided story we, we got, like you have, you have said. Uh, yes. So we, we, we are hoping now uh, a lot of this will be uh, heard by our, our viewers and the people out there. It's very important because as we dive in now to discuss the Socialist Party, we need to understand that this man is a family man, and he looks, he worked at this place, which was perpetually pro, given the picture that it was in his pocket. That aside, ladies and those are listening, you are listening to Zanga Block Talk Radio. Our guest today is Dr. Fred Membe, the president of the Socialist Party. If you've got any questions, those of you listening online from other parts of the world who cannot call into the show, you can post your question on the Socialist Party Facebook page or Zambia Block Talk Radio. Uh, Ms. Uh, Cecilia and I will coordinate how we are going to read your question. Uh, let me throw this question to you, Dr. Membe. Let, let's now make the people understand why the Socialist Party. You participated and gave your support. To the, you've been in the political process uh, your, your lifetime. You participated and gave support to the formation of the MMD, uh, Bonuji Nkumbula's National Party, even Patriotic Fund under Michael Saga. And uh, PF was founded on the anti-corruption and uh, poor people's stance. So why the Socialist Party? Why, why should somebody join your party or support your, pre your candidacy for president? Firstly, I never joined the Socialist Party to become a presidential candidate. Mm. 
I never joined the Socialist Party to be its leader or to be a leader in it. Mm. I joined the Socialist Party to be a member. Socialists don't aspire for positions. We don't aspire for positions. We don't have ambitions or positions. We have the duty to carry out the program of our party. It took one year, four months, for my comrades to convince me to take up a position in the party. Despite me having been there from the beginning of the party. Yes. I would rather aspire for a simple, modest, or even an anonymous place in life and in themes or in organizations. I'm more concerned about the cause. I'm more concerned about the principles one is advancing than the positions. Even if you become a president of the party, so what? Even if you become a president of the country, so what? None of us in this party is there, in the top leadership of the party, is there to satisfy an ambition, or an ambition. We are not in there for that type of thing. This is a big struggle. It's not a small struggle. It's a big struggle that calls for a lot of sacrifice, huge sacrifice. Look, I joined the socialist course in 1978. I've been on that path since 1978. I joined the South African Communist Party, which was called the Communist Party of South Africa then. Now it's called the South African Communist Party. I joined it in 1978 as a student at the University of Zambia. Consequently, as a result of my membership of the South African Communist Party or the Communist Party of South Africa, I joined the African National Congress and the other organizations affiliated to that. Some of them I can talk about that now. I've lived through that. I learned from the best. I had the opportunity to interact as a youngster with the best people I've ever met in my life and probably I'll ever meet in my life. I had the privilege of growing up under the tutelage of Joe Slovo. I had the privilege of being guided by Chris Hani. I had the privilege of being taught by Ben Turok. Professor Ben Turok is still alive, he's there in Cape Town. He's a former member of parliament of the ANC. The other two commanders are dead. I never had the position in all those things. We saw the collapse of the Soviet Union and other socialist states in the late 80s, early 90s. It was a difficult period for any socialist. Very, very difficult period when you are made to question, to really look at your own convictions. Some moved away, became social democrats. Later on, some of them moved from being social democrats to liberal democrats, and so on. Have never doubted. At no point did I ever doubt or my convictions shake about socialism and its future. What died was socialism in Europe, in the Soviet Union, but there was not socialism in us. I've grown under that. Mm. 
I participated in the MMD in 1991, coming from the party. By the party, I mean the Communist Party of South Africa, or SSP, SSCP now. I had the blessing of my commanders. I had the blessing of my leaders. If you remember, at that time, Comrade Joe, I mean Joe Slovo, was doing a lot of writings on the multi party option. He was very critical of the one-party state. And when I asked him to participate in the movement for the multi-party for, 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 for movement for multi-party democracy in Zambia, he said go. And we had a long discussion about it. So I participated in the movement for the reintroduction of multi-party politics in Zambia. And we helped in the formation of the MMD. It's not a secret. My name is on the document supplied to the Register of Society. I did not hide. But I didn't do that to join politics. I'm not a politician. I'm a revolutionary. I'm not a politician. I believed and I still believe and I sincerely believe in the multi-party political dispensation. So every political party that I could help to strengthen the multi-party democracy in Zambia, I helped it. I helped the formation of affords in Malawi. Mm -hmm. which participated to dismantle, which championed the dismantling of the one-party state in Malawi under Kamuz Banda. It was formed in my office. It's a key document I participated in their drafting with the late Chakufa Chihana, Dr. Chipeta, and others. I participated in that process. I'm not a Malawian. We socialists are yeah. internationalists. The border between Zambia and Malawi, we never participated in it. If my services are required in Malawi to do today and my party orders me to go to Malawi and work there, I will go without any hesitation. I belong to an apparatus, and I've belonged to an apparatus all my life. I was deployed by my party wherever it needed me, and I will still be deployed by the Socialist Party wherever it needed me. I supported parties in Zambia much, much a little bit more, those who were closer to the left. If you look at the constitution of the MMD, or, or the PF, the constitution of the PF is socialist, is anti-capitalist, clearly stated in black and white. Of course, the practices have been very different. The PF under Michael Sata and the PF now are different. I don't know which direction the PF would have taken if Michael Sata had lived longer. I don't know. It's difficult to predict life. Indeed, but indeed. the documents were clear. If I was given a choice which party should I vote for uh -huh. at that time, I would vote, being a socialist, I would vote for a party that is anti-capitalist, that is pro-socialist, that is pro-worker. And I supported that party on that basis. There was no party in Zambia that is stated clearly in its constitution. And PF has not changed this constitution. They have changed their practices, but the constitution still stands. I think soon they will change it. Or they are feeling embarrassed to change that. <laughs> I, I guess our the other political party. Yeah, go ahead. The other political parties that we have assisted, that I have assisted, that I have supported, 
It's not even on the basis of ideology. It is on the basis of strengthening the multi-party political dispensation. We do not need a one-party state, de jure or de facto. We need a living multi-party political dispensation. So to have a multi-party political dispensation, you need political parties. You need political parties. Yes, you do. Yes. So those political parties need to be supported. When you have a little bit of money, they need to be financed. You support them, you give them. The little money that we earn for, 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 for some of us is not you know, for enriching oneself in all sorts of ways. It's for making a revolution. It's for, for changing the conditions in our lives, for changing the conditions in the world. So that's the support to these parties. And they are not the only parties we are cooperating with. Mm-hmm. We are cooperating with liberal Demo- democratic parties, with social democratic parties in Europe. We are cooperating with them on a number of things, on issues of the environment, on issues of human rights, on all the progressive issues. We work with anybody. And also we fully understand that we socialists are not the only revolutionaries. There are other revolutionaries who may not be socialists. But we socialists are the only revolutionaries capable of building a socialist society. Excellent. Help our listeners, Dr. Membe, understand the ideals of uh, the Socialist Party, this Socialist Party that you are a member of. The ideals of the Socialist Party are very easy to understand. They are not complicated. What is socialism? Socialism is about equity in terms of access to education, equity in terms of access to health services, equity in terms of access to good nutrition, to food, and to all the services required in an organized society. Socialism is about honesty. Socialism is about humility. Socialism is about solidarity. Socialism is about equity. What is complicated about that? As Commander Chris Han put it, socialism is not about bombastic ways. There's nothing complicated. It's about people's day-to-day lives. Can people fail to understand their day-to-day lives? I've moved across the breads and width of our country, Zambia. In the rural areas, and the Zambian rural areas have got the poverty levels of averaging 76.6%. These are poor people with no proper access to education, health, service, and nutrition. When you talk to them about these things, they understand and they can explain them even better than you. So what is complicated about socialism? Socialism is for the humble. It's a system by the humble. Can the humble people fail to understand themselves? Can they fail to understand the conditions under which they, they live? They may have difficulty under explaining what is causing mm-hmm. those conditions. They may fail to understand that it's the capitalist system. It's the contradictions within the capitalist system. It's imperialism that is causing that. They may fail to understand that. But they cannot fail to understand the conditions under which they live. 
He understands them. So talking to them, there's no problem. What we have a problem with is the contradictions of the class interests of the petty bourgeoisie. Those highly educated people, those who are living well, who want to maintain the status quo, who want their lives not to be disturbed, who want the worker not to be liberated so that, you know, he doesn't work for them as a maid and so on, they are the ones mm. who have got problems with socialism. They are the ones who have see contradictions in socialism. They are the ones who question the essence or probably the kindness of socialism. They would prefer the values of a capitalist society that are anchored on individualism, greedy, and bridled competition, and bridled consumerism. That is even wasting natural resources, limited global natural resources being wasted. The environment being destroyed just to maximize profits. That they understand. They, 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 they understand. Our people understand that very easily. And moreover, they have been subjected to the capitalist system since 1891. Oh. When that bandit first landed and colonized our country, our first colonizer was not a country, it was not Britain. It was not the UK that first colonized us. Our first colonizer was an individual a foreign investor, a businessman, a capitalist businessman called Cecil John Rhodes. He ruled us for 33 years. From 1891 to 1924, 33 years we're under the rule of this businessman, and his company, the British South African company. It was only when he started the encountering difficulties, the profits were reducing because the state apparatus he had to manage was big. He had to run the judiciary, the entire civil service, and so on. So he handed over the territory to the British Foreign Office so that he can concentrate on his business, on maximizing his profits. Firstly, the British Foreign Office ruled our territory, our country, from South Africa. Then they governed it from Livingston and eventually from Lusaka in 1935. From 1891 to date, we have been under a capitalist system. If capitalism has worked, if capitalism is so good, why do we still have such high poverty levels in Zambia? We have never been socialists, not even under Kaunda. Under Kaunda, it was state capitalism. And a good social democratic party. Unity was a social democratic party. But it's still a capitalist party. We have been governed from 1891 under capitalist order. We still have poverty levels averaging 76.6% in the rural areas. Our poorest province today, Western province, has poverty levels of 82.2, followed by Wapula with 81.1, Northern province 79.7, Eastern province 70, Muchinga province 69.3, Northwestern province 66.4, Southern province, 57.6. Central province, 56.2. Copper belt, the hub of our industrial site has poverty levels of 30.8. The capital province of Zambia, Lusaka, has poverty levels of 20.2. Mm. Look at the disconnection. Look at the, dis the chaos 
that is in our educational system. Look at the health services. Look at the poverty levels in terms of hunger. Today, Zambia is number four in the world. Kunsala. <laughs> we are the, the fourth hungriest country in the world. After, Madag wow. after Chad, Central African Republic, Madagascar, we are number four. We were actually number three until two years ago when Madagascar suffered heavy natural disasters and dropped. We did not move to number four because we are doing well, no. And you can understand, Chad and Central African Republic are deserts or semi-deserts. Yes. They don't have the water we have. They don't have the soils we have. They have the sand. And also their countries at war within themselves. They have serious political and social conflicts. Why, so mm. why are we so poor under a capitalist order? We are not living under a socialist order. So if capitalism has been successful, let's see its success in Africa. Let's see its success in Africa. Let's see its success in Latin America. Let's see success in Asia. Even the USA, the richest country in the world today, mm. the richest country in the world, still has poverty, still has poor people, still has people sleeping on the streets. When mansions are empty in California there, in Texas there, empty, but there are people sleeping on the streets without food, the richest country in the world. It is failing to deal with the issue of growing inequality. The Democratic presidential candidate was acknowledging that a few days ago. He was acknowledging that there's growing inequality in the, in, in the USA today. There's growing unemployment in the USA today. Poverty is increasing in the USA today. It's not diminishing. Yes, it might be at a low level, but there's increasing poverty. Poverty is not reducing. The number of hungry mouths is increasing, not reducing. In the richest country in the world, that's what capitalism does. Every year they go to Davos in winter for the World Economic Forum. What do they discuss there? They are discussing the challenges of growing inequality in the world. They are discussing the challenges of growing unemployment in the world. Why can't they solve it? They don't have good economies. No, they have very good economies. The problem is they are trying to square a circle. It's like trying to find a cure for HIV. Is it because the scientists don't, can't find something that can kill the, that virus? No, they can find drugs that can kill the virus. But the problem is to find a drug that will kill the virus without killing the body. Mm. They can give you a drug that will kill, that will kill the virus within a few hours. But also, within a few hours after that, the body will go. Do they administer that cure on you? No. That's the problem the capitalist order today is under. They can find solutions to the growing inequality in the world. They can find solutions to the growing unemployment in the world. They can find solutions to the growing poverty in the world. But to do that, they have to destroy capitalism. Are they ready to destroy capitalism? No. That's why they are coming within the mitigations like the ARVs, 
There are mitigations they don't kill the virus. The mitigations they are coming with, they don't kill. They don't kill inequality. They don't kill unemployment. That's why Pope Francis described the capitalism as enemy number one of the Catholic Church. Dr. Membe, you mentioned the Cecil Rhodes before I go to my colleagues that have called in to ask their questions, and we have quite a number of questions that have come online. You, you've discussed Cecil Rhodes, and what, that's one of the issues that uh, very quickly I would like you to address. Uh, Zambia and the most African countries for that matter are so much bent on so what I call it so-called foreign direct investment. What we basically do, mm-hmm. if I may put it in this language, we prefer foreign investors instead of promoting domestic or our own nationals to make investments into our own country. Uh, what's the Socialist Party's policy towards foreign direct investment? <laughs> it sounds very complicated language, foreign direct investment. Exactly. FDIs. <laughs> we sound very educated when we talk about that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah? Yes. The ordinary yes. person doesn't know what we are talking about. The ordinary person doesn't know what we are talking about, isn't it? No, but they don't. But we have been subjected to foreign direct investment since 1891. Mm-hmm. Cecil Rhodes was a foreign direct investor. Mm-hmm. What has he left? Let me put it this in a simpler way. Yeah. Foreign, foreign investment... Foreign direct investment is not aid. It's not charity. It is simply an investment to get a return that is coming from outside. Mm-hmm. When they make hundred, they make profits. How much of the profits do they leave behind? They will take eighty percent, ninety percent of the profits, really, mm-hmm. and you remain with just ten percent that is paid in taxes and wages. So, if the wealth that has been generated. In a country, 90%, 80%, 70% of it go away. You remain with 10%, 20%, or 30%. Where is the higher development going to occur? Where that 80, 90%, 80%, or 70% has gone? Or where that 10%, or 20%, or 30% has remained? Definitely is where the bulk of the profits, the wealth that has been generated in a country goes. So that's why we are still poor, despite having produced so much copper over the years of Cecil Rhodes and to date, we have not produced even one millionaire, copper millionaire, nothing. Nothing, not a single mining millionaire. Yet you have been mining for all these years, for all these decades, if not a century. Not a single mining millionaire Zambian. Comrades, what is difficult with Zambians raising $200 million, $300 million? How many people do you need to raise $200 million if they are contributing, say, $500 or $1,000? Not so many. many. Even those when the diaspora... Even those who are in the diaspora alone, they can make that try 300, 200, 300 million dollars. Look at how much you sold the narco at to its current owners, foreign direct investors. 
a company that was created with workers' money, a bank that was created with workers' money and the biggest bank in the country with branches everywhere, sold for nothing. If the government didn't want to run it, why didn't they give it to you people? You people in the diaspora could have raised the amount of money that RoboBank, those robbers, donated or contributed as capital. You could have raised it and, and you'd be owning the neck. As a Zambian owned bank. And that is Zambian owned bank, if you wanted, you could export capital. Zanaku could open branches in the DRC. They could do business elsewhere and bring a bit more money to Zambia. What do the owners, the new owners of Zanaku live in Zambia? Nothing. Where, where, where are their main dep deposits coming from? From government money. From Zambian workers' money, their salaries go through Zanaco. The, the government deposits are, are stationed in Zanaco, are deposited in Zanaco. What has the, the foreign, what has FDI brought in? Nothing. And also, we cheat ourselves that they come with a lot of money. They actually don't come with a lot of money. They come with a, a bit of money from pension funds in the countries where they are coming from. When they get it to Zambia, they go to the banks. There they find NAPSA money, Zambian workers' money, pension money. Because the pension, NAPSA doesn't keep its money in its offices. It keeps it in the banks. Yes. They borrow that money. They borrow that money at very low rate. That's what they create shopping malls, where the Zambian worker, the Zambian worker does not live, where the Zambian worker does not shop where the Zambian worker does not have many employment, who is benefiting from all that? Those who are claiming to have brought FDIs. They come to open mines. They don't come with all the capital required to run a mine. They come with some money from Canadian pensioners, European pensioners, but it's not enough. When they get it to Lusaka, they go to the bank. They find enough some money. They borrow that money. They use that money to buy mining equipment, excavators, bulldozers, and so on. Those machinery, they, that machinery they buy, they actually use it to destroy Zambian workers' jobs. One excavator wipes out thousands of jobs in a mine. Using workers' money to get a worker out of employment and throw him into poverty. The issue of FDIs, we shouldn't cheat ourselves brothers and sisters, comrades and friends. We can't develop. Yes, we need international cooperation. Yes, we need some foreign investors here and there. But we should learn how to engage others, how to engage this foreign capital. We can't engage it the same way we engage the special roads. We can't. Look at China, oh. how they have managed to get some benefit from FDIs. You bring in other people because there's something you want from them, you want their technology, you want this and that, you want them to open their markets to you. But not just to come and take everything. They are the sweet state winners. You remain with nothing but craters in the ground.
If we don't wake up to these realities, we are going nowhere. If we continue to be cheated this way, to be dribbled this way by foreign, by so-called foreign investors, we are going nowhere. Thank you for that. Even the, look, 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 even the USA there, how did Ford develop? How did Ford develop? Did Ford have all the money to run the industries that he, he was running? No. no. The American government created a law that allowed the, the public to invest in Ford. That allowed Ford to go to the public and collect money. That is the beginning of public limited companies. They collect money from the public. Ford had more money from the, from the American taxpayers. From the American people, funded that. Today you credit all that to Ford, but you forget that it was not Ford who built that Ford company. It was built by the American people. That capitalism, as it is, is individualistic, it's greedy, it doesn't share the benefits with the ordinary people, with the workers. Ford got everything. <laughs> Uh, thank you for that response. I wanted to get your position on the so-called FDI. You are listening to Zanda Block Talk Radio. Our guest is Dr. Fred Membe. It's 1,700 hours in Zambia. It's 11 p.m. in Perth, Australia. Those of you that have called in, if you have a question, press one on your phone so that I know. We shall spend this la- the few minutes that we have by taking and reading questions from our listeners. Uh, Dr. Katonso, in Maryland, please go ahead. Let's be brief and be mindful that there are others who would like to ask questions. Uh, thank you, Dr. Freddy, for sharing your time with us. And uh, I find some of your ideas very intriguing. Thank you for coming to the show. Thank you, Dr. Uh, yes. Um, I was listening to how you characterize what happened at the post. And uh, I thought that that was a very innovative uh, capitalistic model because the capitalistic model, although uh, you, you, you cast an outer version of it, it can be modified uh, to allow for certain elements. For example, uh, though the post itself was a privately owned enterprise, mm-hmm. but it had an organizational structure mm-hmm. that increased benefits for for other people and an adjustment. And I think that's uh, what we need to do in the Zambia. We can take elements of capitalism that are positive and workable, and also positive elements of either communism or socialism, whatever ism we pick. But what we need, I think, is a set of rules and principles that can increase the wealth of our country and increase opportunities for our people and on that. So on that score, I would like uh, people to actually pay attention to some of the things that you are saying because some of the ideas, although you are captioning them as socialism, and necessarily some of us might react to that, are the actual practical steps that we need to take in the country to be able to reclaim our country back. Because as you have just indicated here, you, you tag foreign direct investment. I'm actually um, a renewed um, convert against foreign direct investment in Zambia. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what you have said because uh, I, I see the same things on that score. Now, my question to you is political. How are you doing on mm-hmm. the ground in your new political party? And how are you, uh, are you part of the coalition of other opposition groups? 
and um, what do you see as your chances and what's your thrust of winning support on the grassroots uh, going into 2021? Because clearly we can tell you we're in the diaspora, and the majority of us, even those people who used to support PF when founded, we have all in our souls defected. Mm. We need dramatic change, not just change of personnel, but change of strategy on how to manage the country. So I want to, you to give us a, a bit of a progress report on how you are doing in terms of your messaging, uh, winning support, or mobilizing yourself to be part of the greater coalition of the Zambians that are clamoring for a change so that we can create a better country for now and in the future. Thank you very much, Doc. Uh, let me start with some of the observations you made on uh, some of the economic uh, structures we are creating and how innovative we should be, creative we should be. I agree with everything that you have said, Doc. Socialism is not a dogma. It is simply a guide to action. Socialism is, an, is not an end result. It's a transitional phase. A socialist society is a transitional society. And a transition means just that, that you have elements of the past, you have elements of the future society that you want to build, and you have elements of the society in which you are currently located or situated. Mm -hmm. You have one foot in the past, you have one foot in the future, and you have a body in the middle. That's what a socialist society is. And that's not a very comfortable position to be in or an easy posture to be in. It means you have to take compromises. Compromises with the present, compromises with the past, compromises with the future. And we know that compromises are not easy things to make. They require a lot of knowledge. You require a lot of knowledge about the past in which you still have a foot. You require a lot of knowledge about the present, where your body is, and you require a lot of knowledge about the future, where your other foot is. To make such compromises, it's not easy. A compromise is like medicine. Panadol, the same Panadol, a painkiller, two painkiller. If you take two of them, they can heal you. If you take 100 panadols, they'll kill you. Okay, he has, um, okay, he's back. He uh, dropped his back. Okay. Continue to remember. I will say, yes, I was saying a painkiller like Panadol. Uh -huh. It's a compromise. You take two Panadols, they can cure your headache. You take 100 Panadols, they will kill you. Someone can take five Panadols, ten Panadols, they will be okay. You take three, you have a problem. So you have to understand yourself. We have to understand who we are, where we are. The circumstances of Zambia are very different from the circumstances of another country. We have a different history, we have a different present. 
Building socialism in Zambia the way it is being built in Cuba, you will not get anywhere. Building socialism in Zambia the way it is in Korea, in North Korea, in China, in Vietnam, you will not get anywhere. We have to understand where we are coming from as a people, as a country. We have to understand where we are and where we want to get. Yes, there are universal principles that guide the construction of any society, especially a socialist society. But we have to be innovative. We need a lot of knowledge. Oh. We need to deploy our people, especially the highly educated people. We need the research to inform every decision we make. We don't have our own people today deployed to understand FDIs. Even when they do, those who try to question or to have, to have an opinion, do the leadership listen? No. They don't listen. Today, they are going around, you know, giving money, dishing out some money for fish ponds. It is a joke. There is no research on fish farming. No research. I can speak authoritatively on this because my doctorate, my thesis, was on fish farming. I studied fish farming from Chiawa to Kalulushi. I've visited every fish pond and every cage fish farming in the Katria Basin, including the cage farmers in the Kariba. I've visited every producer of stock feed. I've done everything. I had 11 fish ponds that I had in Mongo. It was a disaster. I was getting assistance from the Ministry of Agriculture. They didn't know what they were doing, and it was a disaster. And that's what propelled me to get into research. What is happening is we are not researching for anything. Some people, politicians, stand up and say we need a mango juice plant in Mongo. They have not researched even what mangoes are there. The mangoes that we have in Zambia today are obsolete. They are full of fibers. There's no juice, very little juice. What you'll be having in the plant is the clogging up. It's full of pulp. Mango has changed. The mango we have is the mango that was brought from Brazil or Latin America in the early 1900s. That type of mango is obsolete now. We need to try to cut all the trees and put fresh. You can't have a mango Jewish plant in Zambia <laughs> with our type of mangoes. Look at rice. People are proud of chama rice, mongo rice, but I'll tell you that rice is near rubbish. You can't sell that rice anywhere in the world. It's very of low, very, very low quality. There's no research on, on, on rice production, the whole country. The last meaningful research that was there was by JICA in Sefula in Mongo, which ended in the early 80s. Since then, there's nothing. We are growing beans. We have been growing beans in Imbala, Nakonde, Isoka, Masinga. Look at the quality of beans. It's going down, even the production quantities. No research backing that. When I was doing my, my doctorate, I went to Thailand to look at the fish farming there. I spent about a month in Thailand. I went to the University of Bangkok. As an investor of Bangkok, I found an entire forecourt from bachelor's degree to PhD just dealing with rice production. 
And in the city of Bangkok around it, it has got more than 200 varieties of rice. You can't compete with the Thai rice. They have invested their intellect and everything in it. Mm -hmm. Equally, fish farming. Mm -hmm. At the University of Bangkok, there's a faculty dealing with fish farming from bachelor's degree to PhD. The University of Bangkok is producing singling for the farmers. I went around our institutions of learning to see what fish farming curriculums are there. Nothing. The University of Zambia School of Agriculture doesn't have even a department dealing with section dealing with that. I was directed to a Mr. Mbenda in the biology department who was dealing with the biological aspects of, of fish. Nothing. Hmm. I can go on and on on that. Don't All what I'm trying to say is let's invest the time in these things. Coming to the question of alliances or parts. Look, I, we believe sincerely in the multi-party political dispensation. And we sincerely believe that the one-party state is a recipe for tyranny. It's a recipe for tyranny. And we can speak confidently on that based on our experience with the Soviet Union and the other socialist countries. And even from the African experience itself. So we can't go a one-party state. We need more political parties. I told you I supported some of the political parties not because I agreed with their policies, but simply because I agreed with their right to exist. I agreed with the principles of having them. Socialism is not one-party state. That's the mistake they make. Even in China today, people don't know that China is not a one-party state. They don't know. Save for rare experiences or rare moments in history, a one-party state is a recipe for tyranny. And that's what we have learned from the Soviet experience and the African experience. The concept of a party calling itself a vanguard or calling itself this and that, and then trenches itself in the constitution as a permanent godfather of society is a disaster. And it has been a disaster all over the world. It's very clear. It's evident. Yes. It's so evident. let's not form alliances on the basis of just getting one party out of government. Or fielding one candidate simply because you want the party that is ruling to be out. What are you going to replace it with? We saw in 1991, us who participated in the MMD, it was a, a motley assortment of contradictory elements. And the result from there was worse than unity. And we have had alliances, electoral alliances, electoral parties in Zambia. Have they worked? Most of them have not worked. UPND and other parties in 2006 got into an alliance called UDA. Did they win? No. They came number three. Number one was Lenin Manawasa with MMD. Number two was PF with Michael Sata. Number three was Hakainde Hichilema under UDA. There was an election pact in the 2008 that supported Mr. Rupia Banda. 
that fact won. Mr. Rupia Banda won. He became number one. Number two was Michael Sata with PF. Number three was Akainde Chilema with UPND. There was an attempt at a pact in 2009, initiated by UPND, between UPND and PF. They agreed to get into a pact and everybody was cheering. Then came the question of who should be the presidential candidate. UPND wanted Akainde Hichirema to be the presidential candidate. PF wanted Michael Sata to be the presidential candidate. What were the arguments? PF was saying, well, we are a bigger party. We have more members of parliament than UPND. And also, Michael Sata has defeated Hakainde Hichirema in the last, in the last two previous elections. 2006, 2008. So how can Hakainde Hichirema be the presidential candidate? The argument we heard from UPND was that the political landscape has changed since 2008 in favor of UPND. Okay, demonstrate to, 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 you, to, to us how it has changed. Eventually, the pact broke up on the basis of that. In fact, what, what, what made it breaking? One of the executive members, executive committee members of UPND, Professor Clive Chiwa, oh. issued a statement guiding the pact. He said the presidential candidate should be from PF, Michael Sata. The vice president should be left to you, Hakainde HDM, UPND. And the PF should get 60% of the parliamentary seats and 40% UPND. PF immediately accepted that proposal from Clive Chiwa, a member of the executive committee of UPND. UPND rejected that. And that was the end of the pact. This is a short history of pacts in the last two years of Zambia. Dr. Membe, we are running out of time here. Uh, let me allow uh, my colleague uh, to bring in another comment or question uh, before we conclude our discussion. Um, Roger, go ahead. Yes, Dr. Membe, again, welcome. This is Roger in Canada. Um, one Thank of you. the things I think as leaders, when uh, you speak, uh, it is, I'm sure the credentials you bring are on the table. Um, 1991, when we voted, um, um, uh, FTJ, he had uh, these, um, uh, blue collar uh, credentials, which every one of us could see. Uh, Lord and behold, I think you have come. Uh, however, your credentials, uh, Dr. Membe, uh, has really surprised us to hear. I, I mean, it's, it's a story. You're you are passionate about it, and we love it. But your credentials, what the, your perception, what we have seen, has uh, us with a very different uh, story. Uh, say, for instance, when you were in post, there were all these stories you had... Uh, a company running trucks, uh, the defunct uh, Zambia Airways, all this uh, went down. Uh, but because things have gone the other way, 
uh, we're now hearing, I don't know if it's the true member we are hearing or it's the convenient member we are, we, we, we are hearing. So for us to follow your passion, your credentials don't seem to, to be matching up. Please help us. Sir, I hear you. But when lies are told, when people distort reality, there's very little one can do. You are mentioning Zambia Airways. What wrong did the Fred member do in Zambia Airways? And the story is there. I don't know how many times this should be explained about Zambia Airways. Let me explain about Zambia Airways. Zambia Airways used to be Roni Air, owned by ZCCM. It was privatized. When it was privatized, it started running into problems of capitalization as Zambia, Zambia Airways. They were looking for investment. They wanted $3 million to be injected in it. And that was the condition they were given by DBZ. If DBZ was going to lend them $3 million to buy some planes, some second-hand planes, DBZ wanted the, the shareholders, the existing shareholders of Zambian Airways, to raise $3 million in equity as well. So the, the shareholders of Zambian Airways went around the Zambian companies and individuals at that time, looking for that $3 million. They approached us at the post, and there were people we knew well to be put to people of good character, of integrity. We gave them $3 million and the post. And the seaboard, the owners, an American company that owned National Building Company, gave them $2 million. So they had $5 million. And they went and bought the plane. Shortly after that, the world oil prices shot up. And many airlines at that time went into, into problems. And Zambian Airways was not spared. It started facing serious operational problems. And the company had to be put, and the government was hostile. And the airline is not an easy business. It needs a friendly government environment. The government was hostile. Zambian Airways was pushed into receivership. The directors just put it into receivership. And they asked DBZ to appoint a receiver. They appointed a, a receiver from, from, from Kenya. Zambian Airways is to, to, this very day, to this very day still in the receivership. Oh. The government started instituting a legal claim against Zambi, from Zambian Airways of the $3 million. Later on, the post was, they tried to drag in the post. Later on, they tried to drag in the individual directors, myself and others. This matter was conclusively decided by the Supreme Court of Zambia. We were found to have no liability, to have done nothing wrong. And these are public documents. Sir, I don't know why you can't read them. What wrong did I do at the post? The story of the post is clear. And it's also on record in the court. I can't change your perception about me. And I don't have the right to really dictate what a person thinks of me. 
And it's not about me. The Socialist Party is not my company. The Socialist Party is not my party. And I did not stand up to become a president of the party. No. I've told you it took one year, four months for me to accept to lead. Tomorrow, if the members and leadership of the party want somebody else, I have no problem continuing as a member. Positions don't matter to me. Even at the post, to be frank with you, I did not go there to be managing director. No. I was simply a consultant who was assisting in the beginning. I just wanted to offer consultant services. But the people who are supposed to run to help us voted. And it was pushed on me to run the post. And when I accepted to do it, I did it with everything I had. If I had done anything yeah, wrong at the post today, I would not be working as a free man. I would be in prison today. Yeah, Dr. Membe. Mm -hmm. Dr. Membe, so, but I, I, I'm, I'm sorry if I sounded like I'm attacking you. Yeah, I'm sorry if I sounded like I'm attacking you. I'm not. You My question You are accusing me of things I have not done. <laughs> No, uh, let me qualify my question. You uh, my, my, my question was, if you, we are seeing, um, like you have explained yourself, uh, a, a person capable of uh, taking three million, putting an investment, uh, which should we should make him rich. And today he also wants to tell us he is pro poor. That that is something we just want to clarification and reconcile with, with that. Uh, are, are you do, do you have a track record of saying after I invested this huge amount, uh, look at uh, the way I, I helped society. Now follow me. Uh, that is the track record we are missing. We can't see that. Did you see how many people, did you know how many people were working at Zambian Airways? Did you know how many people were working at Zambian Airways who were going to lose jobs if the company failed? Weren't we talking about moving away from FDIs and the localizing investment? That's, that's you true. wanted that's the true. airline to be owned by foreigners? You wanted the airline to be owned by foreigners? And also, was it my own personal decision alone? I could take $3 million from the post and just invest it in an airline, just like that. The post had the board. It went through the board. The board approved that. A request was put. The post was not a contender. It was not something, you know, from the pocket of every member. <laughs> the post was well governed. Mm. What I'm trying to say is you educated the people. You have the opportunity to find out the truth. You cannot live and dwell on gossip. I would understand and forgive somebody from the street who has little capacity to find that, that information. You can go and read the court records of the Supreme Court. You can follow the, the case from the High Court up to the Supreme Court. You can, you can have a clear understanding of what happened at Zambian Airways. It's not only the, the Zambian Airways, the post helped. Mm -hmm. We have a duty to help other, other, other entities in Zambia. If we don't help those entities, who will help them? The post lost money. The country needed an airline. It had no airline. We were dependent on South African Air Airways, Kenya Airways. We had no regional flights originating from Zambia. 
And also an airline is a suction pump. If you are using foreign airlines, you are draining your foreign exchange every day. Doctor, the time has airline. gone. If if he wants, yeah. he Doctor, can call in. He can call in again to conclude. Yeah. yeah. These segments are set in time. So this segment has ended. Could you, on at the bottom of the hour, could you please call back in so that we continue, everybody? Hello? I'm saying this segment is coming to an end. Uh, please call back in in like a minute in, uh, at the bottom of the hour to continue the discussion, please. Everybody, uh, we are going to drop here and call back in. Okay. All right. Nalema kulila misozi, nikayanga na banja latu, kupadwa sinabatwa mushe, komalelo lipasuli. 